You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Hi, welcome to Catholic Saints. This episode, we are going to dive into the life of St. John Chrysostom. My name is Mary McGeehan. I work here at the Guts Institute, and this is Dr. Carl Venerstrom, professor here at the Guts Institute. Thanks for uh, giving us your expertise today. I'm very glad to be here. Happy to have you. (laughs) Uh, So this episode, we want to learn more about the life of St. John Chrysostom and learn more about him um, as wisdom for ourselves on this journey, um, this journey of holiness. So what do we need to know about St. John Chrysostom in his early life? Uh, What time was, where was he born? What time period did he grow up in, et cetera? Yeah, yeah. So uh, St. John Chrysostom, uh, or Chrysostom, we talked about this earlier. I don't really <laughs> care about pronounce. pronunciation, <laughs> but yeah, I just get out all the syllables. Uh, <laughs> he was born in 347. So this is the fourth century, a sort of heady time for the church, I guess. Uh, right. So born in the same century as St. Augustine. Um, he was born in Antioch, uh, which which you'll remember from uh, the Acts of the Apostles, of course, uh, the first place where uh, the followers of Jesus were called Christians. Um, and he was born into uh, a kind of well-to-do Christian family. Um, he was trained in rhetoric by truly the sort of best rhetorician in the world, or at least in the, mm. the Roman Empire. By the, his, name was, his name was Libanius. Okay. Uh, and there's a story about Libanius. I'm already kind of taking a sidetrack, but on his deathbed, apparently, uh, he said that Chrysostom, John Chrysostom, would have succeeded him as the sort of like teacher in this school Whoa. if he hadn't had become a Christian. So, Or if he hadn't sort of yeah. chosen monasticism and the priesthood over okay. uh, the life of a rhetorician. Little did he know, though, that yeah. he was going to be one of the doctors. But, of- yeah, well, but, I mean, uh, for Libanius, it was sort of an antagonism because Libanius mm-hmm. was a pagan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, this was not, like, a happy conclusion. Uh, uh, but, yeah, which actually maybe brings us back to his name, uh, Chrysostom or Chrysostom. Uh, which means golden-tongued. So uh, he wasn't first name John, last name Chrysostom, uh, son of Mr. and Mrs. Chrysostom. But yeah, this is like a title that was given to him because he was uh, such an incredible speaker. Okay. Was Um, it given once he became a priest or was it... Yeah, uh, was it his? I think this. It was name? during his lifetime. Yeah, okay. um, yeah, and it's it's kind of interesting because uh, I think when we think of entertainment, we think of like movies or TV or maybe like watching sports. Yeah, but in antiquity, uh, especially in this period, uh, in the place of like the theater or like the gladiatorial games, like entertainment was going to watch someone give a speech. Um, Mm -hmm. And so he did this as a preacher, um, but he sort of like gained the respect of of everybody for his his abilities. Interesting, which also makes, you said uh, St. Augustine, the century of Augustine, and he's also an incredible preacher, speaker, so articulate. So yeah, that's right. Similar time period. Yeah. Makes sense. 
Yeah, the story of two two rhetoricians. Yes. Uh, yeah. And you said he was he a noble family, a poor family, uh, and whom did he first receive the faith from? Yeah, yeah. So he came from a a wealthy family. His father was sort of hi- highly placed in the military bureaucracy. Um, and he makes special in, in this work called On the Priesthood, which is uh, partly autobiographical. He makes special mention of his mother uh, as an important influence. Uh, it was after mm-hmm. her death uh, that he went into monastic life, but he uh, and he received baptism at the age of 20, sort of oh, okay. when he decided to not go into the sort of not to go into the legal profession mm-hmm. and lean on his rhetorical skills, but uh, to become a monk. He, he at least partially attributes this well to, to meeting a monastically minded person, but also to the faithful influence of his mother. Of his mother. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. Um, but yeah, so then he, uh, he is a monk for in a monastery for four years. Um, and then he's a hermit for two years. Um, and the rigorous, regime of fasting was uh, difficult for him. Uh, so he's, he sort of returns to the city. He's a, ordained a deacon, and then he assists the bishop in Antioch for a while. Was um, he known for fragile health throughout his life? Or um, was it I, just the life of the hermit wasn't for him? Yeah, I think more the... Austerity. Latter, yeah. and But, it, I mean, it is kind of interesting often, like... Even people who have good health in antiquity, like they're always complaining about having like their teeth killing them or, or whatever. <laughs> I mean, if you can imagine like if you've ever like really needed to go to the dentist to have like a tooth fixed, but there was no dentist. Uh, this see. is like a lot of Those people. It was rough times. It was rough times, okay. yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, until pretty recently. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, then he eventually is ordained the Bishop of Constantinople. So he's okay. a sort of patriarch of Constantinople in 398. Wow. And this is the, the capital of the Roman Empire. So this mm-hmm. is the very sort of center of the world. And he did not want this position at all. And he protested a lot. Um, this is sort of common with like all the best bishops from antiquity. Yes. They all like didn't want to be bishop. Um, and well, you look at the Pope, so many of them were killed, you know, in their papacy. So yeah, bishops. yeah, right. Yeah. And he knew, well, yeah, it doesn't turn out well for St. John Chrysostom, at least like physically, uh, to be uh, the patriarch of Constantinople. Because so what's interesting is, um, so since it's the patriarchate and uh, of Constantinople, since it's sort of the political center of the world hmm. the this position comes with a lot of wealth and privilege and a lot of honor attached to it and hmm. he comes in uh, a person sort of trained as a monk uh, I mean also trained as a rhetorician from a from noble family but very attached to poverty and to humble living and so he sort of like strips the the headquarters of the bishop of like all of the gold and sells it and gives it to hospitals and the poor and then starts preaching. Um, And so we have like a ton of preaching from 
from Chrysostom, these homily cycles on uh, different books of the Bible. And so this is one of the great heritages of uh, John Chrysostom that we have all these homilies that are that are saved and, and, and commentaries. Um, Which are often a part of the divine office, the liturgy of the hours. That's right. That yeah. Correct? Yeah. So if you read the liturgy of the hours, often the, the reading from a saint or... or uh, a figure from the tradition will be from John Chrysostom. Wonderful. Yeah. So he's uh, a very powerful speaker, but then it's still even powerful uh, in written form. And actually, I have here uh, one place you might encounter uh, a homily of St. John Chrysostom would be on Easter. This is more common uh, in the Eastern churches with the Eastern Orthodox or I think sometimes too with Eastern Catholics when they celebrate Pascha, uh, which is the word which we use. We use the word Easter. Actually, the rest of the world, like I mean, even in like France, like Catholics call Easter Pascha, which is like the sort of ancient name. Anyways, uh, if you're in Eastern Orthodox Church uh, at Pascha, you would hear the priest read this short homily, which I think of kind of along the lines of uh, the Gettysburg Address. It's very short. Um, but very powerful. There's not a word wasted. So just a little selection uh, fr from this homily. He says, Come you all, enter into the joy of the Lord, you first and you last, uh, you who have kept the fast of, of Lent, he's talking about, and you who have not, rejoice today. The table is richly loaded. Enjoy its royal banquet. The calf is a fatted one. Let no one go away hungry. All of you enjoy the banquet of faith. All of you receive the riches of his goodness. Let no one grieve over his poverty, for the universal kingdom has been revealed. Let no one weep over his sins, for pardon has shown from the grave. Let mm -hmm. no one fear death, for the death of our Savior has set us free. He has destroyed it by enduring it. He has despoiled Hades by going down into his kingdom. He has angered it by allowing it to taste of his flesh. Okay, so wow. it, it goes on, but Power. it's it's a yeah, it's a very powerful homily, and it's indicative of sort of his yeah. sort of rhetorical skills, but also his insight into scripture and his ability to to reach his. As reach his a quick side note, I just think it's remarkable that we still have his homilies and some of his writings from so long ago um, that even today in the life of the church, you know, we, yeah. we have captured um, his preaching. And I guess I'm just, I'm curious, how, how is it, how has it been captured for so long or how as Catholics do we still have that gift where we've preserved his homilies yeah. for such a long time? Well, I guess, yeah, there's like a few ways you can answer that question. One is just that um, pretty soon after his death and during his life, but um, in the decades after his death, there's some controversy about his death we can talk about, but he was recognized as basically this like pillaring, uh, figure in the church. So he okay. sort of rose above everyone else as uh, a homilist. Um, and so that recognition meant that sort of like from very early on, which is kind of the most crucial period for preserving writings, he was recognized as like this really important person. Mm -hmm. And so um, pretty quickly, then it's like this chain of over a thousand years, like I mean, for the most part, it's monks copying these texts, like okay. in the in in the East, um, yeah. like, and then reading it until it starts to <laughs> like fade away, and then copying it again, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. yeah, so over and over and over again. Um, oh, thank 
yeah, people reflecting on this and dedicating themselves to, to, to passing it on. So, yeah, it is it is a really beautiful thing. I mean, with anything from antiquity that we still have, yes. uh, there's this kind of miracle of like these thousand little yes. events of like people thinking it's important and copying the it preservation down. of it. Yeah. And then just the wonder and awe of how it's still so relevant to my life today. Yeah. It, it, that it just still rings true. So Yeah, it's remarkable. Yeah. Um, Did you want to talk about the controversy over his death? Yeah. Yeah. So this is kind of interesting. So as I was kind of mentioning with him being in the capital, he was surrounded by a lot of wealth. Um, he was not very interested in wealth uh, and he was interested in denouncing it. Um, and so he falls afoul of the empress. Uh, her name was Eudoxia. Okay. <laughs> Um, so he sort of preaches against her, uh, either sort of subtly or not too subtly. Um, and so he does that. He also takes in some monks who are exiled from Egypt. There's this Bishop Theophilus. Um, and that becomes sort of the pretext for Eudoxia to have this sort of campaign against, um, against St. John. Do we, and, do we know what he did to offend her so greatly? I mean, I know it's never a good idea to offend that empress, but... Yeah. Well, I mean, he, like, just preached against her sort okay. of, like, wealth and ostentation and, yeah. like, lack of generosity. Uh, he, he gave this one homily about Jezebel uh, upon his, like, uh, uh, this return that he had to Constantinople. So this was sort of maybe implicitly uh, against accusation. her. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. he also preached against clericalism. Like there's this practice of having like celibate priests having spiritual sisters live with them and uh, and just priests having a lot of wealth. And so all of this was kind of of a piece, but uh, the Empress Eudoxia was the person with political power to punish okay. John Chrysostom. But that's helpful to also just know the other main topics of what he was very preaching the truth on. Yeah, um, yeah. So, well. yeah, he preached really powerfully against immorality of all kinds. Um, and so this included uh, at the level of his parishioners all the way up to the Empress. So. Mm. So he preached against uh, immoral priests and lay people, and then, yeah, yep. the, okay. the the royal house. Um, yeah, so uh, they tried to. Yeah, basically, there's like a theological pretext for this other controversy that Saint John Chrysostom wasn't involved in at all, and this pretext is used by the empress to send him into exile uh, up north in uh, to Pontus. And he he actually dies on his his way into exile. So it's this very wow. sad ending to um, his his saintly life, um, and it becomes kind of embarrassing uh, a little while later when when eventually uh, his honor is sort of restored in the church. Mm -hmm. um, it so becomes embarrassing for the for the emperor especially to say like yeah. He was right. <laughs> he was right. Yeah. So just to clarify, when you said he was, you know, en route to exile, was he misunderstood in the church himself of the time? Or was it um, like the secular powers of being that had exiled him? Yeah. Uh, it was a mix of both. So okay. he he was uh, an equal opportunity offender. So Got like, it. he was willing to offend uh, priests who are living in a moral life and even like 
powerful priest in the hierarchy. Um, And so, yeah, he was sort of teamed up on. Um, Yeah. And then, like, he made an enemy of Theophilus, not because of these issues, but for sort of other issues. Anyways, yeah. That's awful. Yeah, so it was a a kind of mixture of, like, crooked people within ecclesiastical Mm. structures and then the political power of Mm -hmm. the royal family. Okay. Okay, not an easy position to be in. Yeah, that's right. Uh, (laughs) What would you say, you know, besides his incredible homilies that we still have access to and preaching are some legacies of St. John Chrysostom today or lessons from him Mm. uh, that we look at? Yeah, I think um, one is uh, he has this great reflection at the end of this work that's called On, on, On the Priesthood, which itself has a lot of beautiful things in it, including this really stunning description of the Eucharistic liturgy. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing he talks about at the end is the difference between a monk and a priest. Mm-hmm. And so he says that a priest deserves more honor because it's much more difficult to be uh, to attain holiness as, as a priest. Um, and the reason for this is that he thinks that if you're a monk, uh, you can... Uh, live a life which is free of a lot of the distractions and temptations that you might find as a priest with a a parish and a flock and people depending on you and people bothering you all the time, um, but also presenting you with temptations. Um, Which he was seeing rampant of his time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, and which he, you know, probably experienced as a a bishop, these like temptations. Mm -hmm. Um, But that... Like you should be very wary of taking uh, a role that uh, would entail this kind of leadership, um, and so it's it's kind of a trope in antiquity that uh, mm. monks are trying to avoid ordination, um, and so there's this like <laughs> sort of call like it's the opposite of what we have today. It's like don't be a leader, <laughs> uh, which okay you have to sort of like temper that. Uh, it's not exactly what he says. Um, but I mean, we're if you look at like what the top books are on a- on Amazon or something, it's like all about like leadership, 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 leadership. And part right, of that is right. probably that there's just like this absence of true leadership in our culture. Yeah. Um, but then we we do maybe have a kind of unhealthy obsession with leadership. That if you're a successful human being mm-hmm. and if you're holy and you're good, you're gonna be in charge of other people, mm-hmm. um, and you should want that. And it's like, well, that's like you should accept uh, – you should possibly accept these positions of, of leadership if you're given them. But he's a good reminder that um, uh, your first responsibility as a human being is your salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you should avoid things that put that possibly in, in jeopardy if you can. That makes sense. Um, yes. And a purification of what is your what is your motive for leadership? Is it for that self-aggrandizement? Yeah. Uh, or, you know, is it a, a gift that the Lord is inviting you into and will provide the grace yeah. for um, with the great trials that come in, the great responsibilities? Yeah, that, yeah. So. so it's, yeah, also a good reminder for people who do have positions of leadership that... Um, there's a, this is a separate thing, but in the rule of St. Benedict, there's a beautiful, uh, reflection on the, the role of the abbot. And so you just have to have a lot of f- true fear mm-hmm. of like your, your, your responsibility that, mm-hmm. um, you do 
totally depend on God for the grace to be successful and not to fall into the various temptations and sins, which could easily yeah. accompany, accompany such a position. Makes but. sense. Yeah. Same thing, the Bishop of Constantinople, I'm sure he's also a patron of, of leaders or yeah. those in power um, yeah. of, of pressure situations. Hmm. So yeah. Is there anything else about St. John Chris, Chrysostom? Chris <laughs> yeah, I guess the last thing is he's a, he's the doctor of the church and he's one in the East. He's remembered as one of the three holy hierarchs. So he shares that with uh, St. Gregory of Nazianzus, who's also called the theologian, and then St. Saint, Saint Basil the Great. Okay. Um, and so. a quick primer on how do you become a doctor? Is it? Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, there have been sort of various processes for this in history, um, but there's like a more sort of regular process now, at least in the West, um, that the people are usually are always declared doctors of the church by the Pope. And it's a recognition of the sort of uh, purity and effectiveness of mm. and reliability of that figure's teaching. So... Um, there are now, you know, not many, but uh, a, yes. a good number of doctors, doctors of, the, of church. the church. Yeah, traditionally in the West, it was uh, Saint Jerome, Saint Ambrose, Saint Augustine, and Saint Gregory the Great. Um, but but many more have been added yeah. as well. Fascinating, yeah. wonderful. Well, yeah. thank you. Yeah, Very interesting. Um, thank you for joining us on this life of the saint and Saint John Chrysostom. Pray for us. Pray for us. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Thank you for being a dedicated listener to the Catholic Saints podcast. Your support truly uplifts us. For those seeking additional thought-provoking content, go to formed.org. It's a platform brimming with resources, including insightful videos that align seamlessly with our podcast's themes. If you're finding value in our podcast, please consider taking a moment to leave us a review. Your feedback serves as a cornerstone for our growth and outreach.